everyone and welcome back to the Meteor TV podcast. This week, we've had a bit of a mix around. I'm George White, film editor, and I'm joined by Chris King, our gaming co-editor and magazine designer. Hello, Chris. Hello. The original plan was to have uh, Nathan, TV editor, would have made sense, and uh, and Joe, our YouTube producer, but, uh, you know, duty calls and all that. So Chris has stepped in like a champ, and um, we definitely haven't come up with our favourite episodes in the five minutes before this uh, recording <laughs> session, so this will be very good. I mean, I came up with two of them outside of that five minutes. <laughs> At least an hour, and an hour and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. That's all right. Professionalism is the name <laughs> of the game. Anyway, we will uh, we'll get started with you if you like. What's your what's your number three? What's what's kicking us off? Kicking us off is the series four finale for Parks and Rec. Uh, so I can't remember exactly what the episode's called because they just like literally play them as it goes. By mm-hmm. that point in series four, it's just like, would you like to watch the next next episode? And you're like, yes. Yeah. Yes. If you do anything other than binge watch series four, then you're yeah. doing it wrong. Exactly. So I have no idea what the episodes are called because I've never actually looked. Um, but that that final episode is basically so that that series is building up for Leslie Knope to be councilwoman of Pawnee, and it it massively like is going to be is it going to be Bobby Newport played by Paul Rudd, or is it going to be her who actually has common sense? And it all goes down to the wire as we kind of always knew it would. Um, but that episode basically sums up that entire series, which, as it's the best series of the show, means that obviously this is going to be the best episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it basically places all these plot threads that they've been interweaving together just ready for one thing. Like Ben is pulled in one direction because of the fact that he isn't sure whether he should go for a job. Uh, away from Leslie, but he wants to stay in Pawnee because they've not really had time to have their relationship together. You've got Ron just being like supportive as ever, Jerry messing it up as always, and forgetting to vote. Just like every single beat, like the, all those characters, while they're familiar and you expect most of the beats, when some of them are a bit curveball-y, they do really take you by surprise. So I will always remember the bit where um, she wins and she asks Ben, who's both her boyfriend and campaign manager for the failure speech for the one where she was going to be like, you know, thanks for supporting me, but I didn't get it. And he just turns to her and says he's never wrote one. And that is just like, you floods of tears. You just, you're crying everywhere by that point. It's, it's just emotional. And it does what Parks and Rec does really well, which is positivity in the face of adversity. And sometimes in that show, not everybody wins. Like Andy doesn't become a cop and stuff. Just like mm-hmm. nice little bits. They don't always win, so it's quite nice to see the fact that she did actually win, and it it was it was really sweet, it was really cute, and that's why we like to watch Parks and Rec because it's sweet and cute. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I gave a shout out to Leslie Nope as one of my favourite characters of all time when we oh. did the the podcast on best TV characters. Just to plug that one, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's because because she does go up against um, adversity all the time. She's it never seems to go away a lot of the time, and um, you know, obviously, she's she's not even the head of her own department, even though she's clearly <laughs> more enthusiastic and talented than Ron. Um, <laughs> I love that little plot thread that it always stays that Ron's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's clearly Leslie. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it seems like for all the hard work and for all the positivity, it's just not going to work out for her. And then you did, um, you get that big win. And it's such a satisfying one, the way that it's done with the whole recount and everything. And like you say, with that, that sweet moment from Ben, who's just an angel. Honestly, 
Andrew Scott is adorable in that. Yeah. Adam, Adam Scott. Ad, yeah. Adam. Someone said Andrew. Adam Scott. I love Adam Scott. Yeah, me too. He's he is just the his own character in that one. You know, he really just embodies Ben yeah. Wyatt, and uh, I love him for it. And yeah, like you say, it's kind of a one of those episodes. It's like a microcosm of the entire show. It's got a bit of everything, like you say, that's Parks and Recky. And uh, yeah, that, for that reason, it makes it one of the best for me. That's why. That's why I wanted to pick it because there are technically better episodes in terms of the fact that like you laugh at them more or like they're more hard hitting or whatever. But there's no episode that really like sums up the show as much. Yeah. So I think it has to be that one for me. Yeah, that's a show, and that that's probably one of my favourites as well. To be honest, from the show. Yeah, it was a close run thing between that and the wedding one. Yeah, a wedding one's always a you know it's always a good cute. Um, affair in most shows although i will say that uh brooklyn 99 one of their episodes is on my list spoiler alert but the wedding one not so much because as seems to be the case in brooklyn 99 they try to bring in uh you know the actual detective work into every episode sometimes it's just not needed Mm. so for me yeah that was uh how not to do it but anyway go to number three on my list uh and we'll go into this unknown show and i'm not sure if many people have seen it it's called friends um it's on i think it's on comedy central and channel five and netflix and (laughs) anywhere where you turn on the tv um yeah and you know it is massively popular now i kind of grew up and not many people that i knew had seen it at that time and it's been interesting people coming into it now and seeing which, which characters they like and which episodes they like and stuff but for me it's still it is a quality show, and I can see why so many people come to it, um, even now. Problematic, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there are there are certain plot points, certain characters, certain jokes that just well. wouldn't fly. Yeah, definitely hasn't aged well, which is why it's a bit of a surprise that it is so popular all of a sudden. Um, but for me, it was what I grew up with, and um, yeah, I grew up with these characters as well, and I think the characters are are brilliant, especially especially the main six. Um, and spoilers for kind of series five, six. If you haven't got up to this point, which is probably about two point three percent of the population, but I know I, that I am one of those. I'd yes, judge. And so is Joe. But um, <laughs> I'm going to spoil it for you anyway. I'm afraid. I don't care. I'm never going to watch signed, it. Exactly. You signed the you signed the agreement. <laughs> um, it is the one with the proposal. It's a two parter. And basically, it's when Chandler and Monica uh, become engaged. For me, all the talk is usually about Ross and Rachel. They're like the the most well known uh, couple in probably TV comedy, to be honest. Uh, ever. They're the ones I know about. Yeah, but Chandler and Monica just kind of happens, and um, it works so well. Uh, their dynamic is way better than Ross and Rachel's. Them getting together makes way more sense than Ross and Rachel. They're funnier than Ross and Rachel together. And, um, yeah, the one with the engagement is, is so good. The emotions just hit big time. They It looks like they're going to break up. Um, and, you know, Chandler looks like he's basically been trying to delay his proposal for this perfect moment. And then he nearly messes it up completely uh, as an old boyfriend comes into the frame. Tension. Yeah. Uh, but then it all works out in one of the most beautiful scenes in the show. And um, it's a tearjerker, definitely. Um, 
you know, with a classic setting of all the candles around the room. Real fire hazard, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you do what you do for a romantic <laughs> setting, I guess. You don't think of fire safety in love, George. There's no, no. one ever taught you, taught you that. No, when, when your passions are burning, uh, <laughs> you don't worry about what else is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that you're not bothered about watching Friends. Is it just not your kind of comedy, really? A bit too, a bit too comedy. Yeah, that, I think that's my issue with it. I've seen a couple of episodes, and it's just too on the nose for me. Like, yeah, it's just you know, you know when the jokes are coming because like you can see three lines in advance. It's just like and laugh, and I'm I, I, that kind of comedy doesn't do it for me. It's why Brooklyn, uh, not Brooklyn Nine Nine. I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. How dare you? It's why um, Big Bang Theory never like oh, God, series don't. stopped doing it for me. Yeah, I think yeah, any show with a laugh track is is you know troublesome. <laughs> in terms of the comedy because you just know what what sort of comedy it's going to be at that point you know there's not going to be any subtlety with it because there's basically a, a full crowd telling them whether something's funny or not like i always find with these um with these studio crowd shows that it's more like a play than a an, a tv show and i think you know with with the likes of parks and rec the office brooklyn 99 you feel more like you're looking in on these people's lives not in a creepy way hopefully um, yeah i there are cases where it works, but it is very much the 70s, 80s, 90s era yes. of comedies. Like, Red Dwarf did it, Only Fools and Horses did it. Like, name pretty much any British comedy in the 70s to 90s. They all pretty much did it. Yeah, which is why I find it strange when shows opt for it these days. It's just not necessary, I don't think. It's not unless I think you show, like, the fact that it's a play. I think that's the only, like, you have to be like, quite meta with it. Yeah. It would be the only way to do it, to be like set from the point of view of a script writer or something and like it's acting out in front of you and you change stuff like the um play goes wrong did that's the only way it really works or mrs brown's boys where they, they get the audience involved all the time but then again that show was awful after a while yeah i was about to say um i don't think people will agree with you on that one i don't, I don't it's... say it's good but i'm just saying it's <laughs> yeah. a way to do it yeah exactly yeah you've got to acknowledge that there's a crowd there yeah otherwise yeah. it just feels weird now yeah i agree Moving on to your uh, number two, is it Mrs. Brown's Boys? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that famous famous episode of Mammy Does Something. I don't really know. They're always yeah. called Mammy Does This, and it's really annoying considering it's, I don't know, it's just that show, man. It's, it's just shocking. Yeah. Why is it still a thing? I don't know. Like, oh. And it's still winning awards all the time. It is. It's just, why? It's sad. It's the BBC sad. really need to up their comedy game, man. They really do. Yeah, they've got drama, it's locked down, but comedy is not something they've been too great at. I mean, Once, the office aside. Recent years. Yeah, exactly. No. And that's not no. even like a proper straight up comedy, is it? No. No, exactly. The, um, yeah, the days of Ricky Gervais have, have gone. Now he's moved to Netflix and they're just kind of, yeah, left with, with a void in comedy. Yeah. It is really weird. Like, they did that weird thing where they started getting all the 70s comedies back. And like mm. Oh god, don't rehashes yeah. up. So like, weird. Open after hours or whatever it's called with yeah. David Jason. This is oh. the redo of Porridge. Porridge, yeah. God. Which was like really depressingly watching it, it was like basically trying to be funny. And the worst part was I kind of weirdly found it funny just because everything else they put on was awful. You've been so devoid of a laugh that you just yeah. desperately want to. Basically, I was just like, please, BBC, please be good. And then it just wasn't. Um, but no, so to, to, to sum up my second episode, it is not a 
BBC comedy from the recent years. Okay. Uh, it is, in shame. fact, it's not Sherlock, but it is Sherlock-themed. It's elementary. Um, and it is episode, I believe it's 12 or 13 of the first series. It's entitled M. Now, I know you haven't seen this show, and I know a lot of people listening won't have seen this show, so I will avoid spoilers, because this episode is quite story-heavy for spoilers. Um, but what I really like about this show in general is the fact that in any kind of Sherlock Holmes thing, you generally pick it up where like either they meet each other for the first time or they've been partners for years and we kind of already know the story. Either way, Watson is in love with Holmes from the beginning, from the get-go. Like they just yeah. they click and it's just like this is what happens. Like um Sherlock's elementary John John basically spends the whole show going, What? How did you know that? That's that's his role. He, he never changes in four year, four seasons. He just asks questions about how Sherlock can be so smart. And it's really annoying. <laughs> it drives <laughs> me up the wall. Um, whereas Elementary basically took that formula and threw it away. Um, because Watson's a woman, for a start. So Watson is played by Lucy Liu. Um, and Sherlock is a recovering drug addict. And mm-hmm. she basically comes in to look after him. That's her, her job. She's his sober companion, it's called in America. Um, and she's basically what he calls a glorified addict sitter. She literally sits with him for two hours. Like she's got to check in every two hours uh, to make sure that he's not taking drugs again. And this builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, but she doesn't get on with him for the first 12 episodes. Like they kind of have flashes of a friendship, but then he'll pull away because he doesn't like people getting close um, because it's Sherlock Holmes. And this kind of all builds towards this like mid season finale where they're faced with a killer that basically sent him into his drug spiral and caused him to do all this stuff in the first place. And they've got they've got to track him down. And it's there's so many like beautiful moments in there. There's a there's a phrase right at the beginning which they they kind of like touch on quite a couple of times, which is um, they're standing in a morgue just looking at bodies. And she turns to him and says, because it's coming to the end of her contract, she says, um, "I'm going to miss this." And then stops and go, points like around and just like not this, like looking at all the dead bodies, but like this. And she tells him what she, what she, what he does. She thinks is amazing. Um, and he kind of like at the end, very end of the episode when like all of this kind of stuff is happening, he flips that back on her. And it's just so nice to see these characters that you've been at loggerheads kind of finally become friends. And you're like, right, OK, we can now progress with the show almost where we normally expect it to be. Like if, if this had been a British show or any other kind of version of Elementary, you would have seen that episode be the first episode. And you would have ignored the 13 before it. So I just for that reason, for like the fact that it was it was able to do so much with characters we kind of all know and just gave them a completely fresh look. And this, this episode was like the beginning of their proper friendship. It was just, it's just a really good episode. And the mystery itself is really cool as well. Cause you know, the killer from the beginning, it's one of those and it's Vinnie Jones as well. Vinnie Jones is in it. Oh, supporting Arsenal. <laughs> it's a really weird tidbit in the episode <laughs> when he kills people, he's watching the football. It's so odd, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just it's just a really good show, and more people should watch it. I think. Yeah, because I've never heard of it, but um, it looks good. It sounds like a, an interesting twist on, obviously, a, a character and a story that's been beaten to death. They they ditch all the original mysteries. Um, they update the character and actually make him like I said, they make him a drug addict. Whereas in Sherlock, he dabbles with drugs because that's what the character did. And then in one episode, he's like off his tits on heroin. And then literally five minutes later, he's fine. Nice. And it's like, 
your best mate's a doctor and he's not telling you all the warnings about like drug abuse, drug dependency, all of this kind of stuff. It just, they would never actually like deal with it. It's just like, yeah, I don't do drugs now. Don't worry about it. Don't think about that. It's, oh, that's a bad show. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. The first two series were good, but after that, it just got bad. But anyway, yes, Elementary is my second best episode. Lovely stuff. My second best episode is Halloween from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> is that the, the first uh, one? No, it's the fifth one. I haven't seen hey. the fifth one, I don't think. Oh, well, this could be... Uh, Have I? This could Which be an issue is... for spoilers. Nah, tell, tell me anyway. I'll, I'll see if I can remember. Okay. Well, a warning for the listeners at home. Again, spoilers. And again... Yeah, fast forward for the next like five minutes if you've not seen them, because the Halloween episode's the best. Yeah, uh, and this one has a big plot moment and it's another engagement episode if you can believe that uh i think i have a trend going on here but yeah basically it's it's when the inevitable happens really uh in that jake proposes to amy oh i remember now yeah yeah Yeah. and um again you talk about pox and wreck that episode there summing up the rest of the show um, yeah, it's the same here. I think we're Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's got everything that makes the show so good for me. Mm. So it's got it's got all the jokes. Obviously, it's a Halloween high, so it's it's bound to be funny. Um, it's got all the the stupid Holt moments, like him calling the the uh, winner's belt a cummerbund and things like that. <laughs> um, so it's it's as funny as ever. But then it's got the heart underneath it as well, which is what I like about Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, and, you know, you've got these two characters. For me, my favourite on-screen couple ever. Um, getting engaged in the most Brooklyn Nine-Nine way. In that they're in... It's the end of the heist. Amy thinks she's won. She takes a look at the belt and it, it says, Will you marry me? Oh, tears are flowing. It, it was... Uh, yeah, it was such a sweet moment. And for me, Andy Samberg is so great at those um, more emotional, like, um, cutesy moments. Like he's always just got that little smile on his face whenever he looks at Amy, and it's just adorable. Yeah, and, and, um, Andy Samberg does a great job. Yeah, he's he's such an underrated actor um, beyond the comedy. I think there's this film called Celeste and Jesse Forever, which I've written articles about and talk about all the time. And uh, he's in a more serious role with uh, Rashida Jones, and he's just he just shows how talented he is. And I know there's an, an upcoming film, Palm Springs, which looks kind of a similar vibe, and I can't wait to see what he does in that role. And, yeah, again, you talk about uh, Adam Scott being Ben Wyatt. I mean, Andy Sambo just is Jake Peralta, isn't he? There's just no other person for the role. And, uh, yeah, that episode for me just summed up what was so great about him as a character, what was so great about the show, and uh, the relationship between Jake and Amy, who are just the best couple in the world. It's interesting you picked that one, though, because Series 5 for me was probably one of the weakest, if not the show's weakest, series. Like, there was only, for me, there was only two or three episodes I actually liked. The rest were kind of a grind. I mean, if I'm being honest, that's that's been the case for a while in that it's not necessarily a grind, but these last few series have, have been kind of similar episodes, a lot of filler episodes, I yeah. feel. And, you know, the comedy that felt so fresh early on is, you know, the the jokes that they made that were great in the first few seasons, they're now kind of repeating and it, it kind of um it kind of just becomes, yeah, like you say, a bit of a grind. Like for example, you talk about seeing jokes coming. I think that this show does have a problem with that at times, in that 
a character would be like, oh no, there's no way they're going to do this. And then it cuts to the person doing that. And it's like, okay, I mean, that's yeah. that's funny the first time, but when you do it at least once every episode, it becomes a bit tiresome. Michael Shaw does love a jump cut, bless him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but besides that, I mean, this episode, in, as a standalone episode, is just mm. amazing. And um, everything that I love about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And continue think... to love, despite its, uh, like you say, dropping quality. <laughs> I think I think Michael Shaw shows always have that though. They always have like a bell curve at the middle of the show where it kind of like figures out what it wants to be and knows how good it's going to be, and then it dips in quality towards the end. Like, yeah, it's the uh, same with the U.S. Office, same with Parks and Rec. Yeah, and Good Place barely even made it out of the starting blocks. <laughs> yeah, Good yeah. Good Place ended when it should though. Good Place needed a full series. It ended two series too late for me, but. That's another discussion completely. That is another discussion. <laughs> have that argument with you another time. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm down for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think, I think to be honest, he gets his kind of attention taken by other projects. Because if you think about it, every time Parks and Rec started before The Office ended, Brooklyn Nine-Nine obviously started before Parks and Rec ended. And The Good Place was, I mean, started and finished while Brooklyn Nine-Nine was on. Yeah. And it does seem to coincide uh, I think he he probably steps back on these shows oh, as he starts to develop thing. others. Yeah, and that's when the, the yeah there's a drop in quality. I think because he is just a, obviously a comedic genius. I mean, you oh, don't yeah. sell those four shows, but he's, by he's the age of four, like forty, he's arguably got the four best comedies. Well, three best comedies. I'll discount the Good Place because Good Place is just weird thing yeah. by itself. But he's got arguably got the three most memorable and best comedies of American history, and he's not even fought yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there's probably Seinfeld and Friends in there, but yeah. oh, it's in the 21st century, yeah, I completely it's, agree. It's the Office Parks and Record Brooklyn. Like, there's no other ones, is there? There's, I mean, pe- people who say the Big Bang Theory can do one, <laughs> just oh, that show is bad. Yeah, and the and then ones like you know Thirty Rock and that they get a mention, but I don't think they've gathered the same level of following no. as um, these three, the especially The weird... Office USA. Oh god, yeah. The Office USA is just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, its own cultural phenomenon by itself. Yes, it really is. Which is just weird to think about when you consider it came from Ricky Gervais. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's just minted now. Yeah. Yeah, because he got like he got—I think it, he got a stupid amount from the royalties as well. Yep. Oh bless him. Anyway, we are on to the big one. The big the one. The gold medal. The king, if you like. <laughs> your episodes I I think well anybody who knows me will probably be able to see this one coming to be honest because I am a massive Doctor Who stan a I'm a massive Indian. sci-fi yes I am a massive sci-fi fan in general like I love Star Trek Star Wars give me anything with lasers and aliens give it to me mm-hmm. um, but the first show that I properly watched and properly like got into was Doctor Who because I was nine when this when the episode that I'm picking came out, and I rem- I remember watching it at the time as well, um, and I've watched it recently as well. I literally watched it yesterday because it's just that good. Um, it's his final two parter because obviously you've had a two parter, so um, I'm gonna pick a two parter as well. So it's his final two episodes, um, Chris Freckleston's final two, mm. where he basically it's the one and only time in the show's history that I can really remember, apart from a couple of other episodes, but they're not they don't do it as well where they come back to a previous episode. So 
the fifth episode of that series, uh, he goes to this satellite in space and um, it's pumping out news all the time, but it's all like, you know, to quote Donald, fake news. And it's just, the planet is just becoming sheep. They don't really like think for themselves almost. So he shuts it all down, stops it all from happening and leaves like a classic Doctor Who episode. Mm -hmm. Society will fix itself. And then a hundred years later, you come back and the station is still there and it's still pumping out TV shows, but now it's game shows where people die. Nice. Um, so they've got Big Brother, they've got um, Weakest Link, they've got Stars in Your Eyes, literally. If you don't sing, you go blind. Um, mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Like the, it's, It kind of deals with consequence in a way that that show never really does. And it's quite self-aware in that fact because obviously we've had Doctor Who for donkey's years beforehand and then it took that little break and then it came back um and it was a nice little love letter from russell c davis to be like this is what the show used to do we're going to flip it on its head and do something unique and us um so he's he's basically trapped there he's been pulled there by shock the daleks um to kind of and he has this massive fight for all of creation basically with a massive dalek fleet and him by himself and at no other point in Doctor Who's history, like before or since, I don't think, has the has that character ever been so like scared and feeling so useless. And he comes up with this plan to he's going to kill all the Dalek fleet, and but the problem is he can't kill them all without killing the entire of Earth at the same time. So that's the stakes. That's the choice he's going to make, and that choice is going throughout the episode. And he d he does stuff where you've seen this Doctor save the world time after time after time. But he sends Rose away because he genuinely doesn't think he's going to manage it this time. And that moment is so harrowing. It's so sad watching this character that for a whole series. You think, you know, what? he can do anything. He can he always save the day. It's the doctor. He can do what he wants. And he sends the person he loves most away because he genuinely doesn't think he's going to be able to do it. Oh, talking about it gives me chills. It's <laughs> so like good. It's just so good. The look on his face. Oh, his little face when he does it. It's so sad. I was in buckets of tears the first time. Um, and he doesn't save the day either. He genuinely doesn't save the day. The, it comes to it. The Daleks are about to kill him. And he's, they're like, go on then, pull the trigger. And he just goes, no, I can't, I can't kill all the planet Earth. He, just, he says no. And just stands there. He's about to be killed. And then Rose comes back and saves the day with all time things. And TARDIS and stuff. And like, you know, she saves the day. And then he has to regenerate. Um, but... Just beat for beat that episode. There's not a dull moment in it. There's loads of like introspective sad stuff. Because really, if you look at it, all it is is the Daleks come on a space station, they come to the top floor, kill everyone, and then the Doctor does nothing. That's the plot of the episode. But there's That's so kind of like moments. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, literally. It's just like there's so many little moments in it though that you kind of you see the stakes building and you see these characters just faced with this almost inevitability of their death and they don't back away from it. They they know they're gonna die, and they do. And what I really like is they do in fact all die. <laughs> they genuinely every single character who faces up against Dalek dies, and the only two that get out of it is Rose gets out of it because she obviously gets sent back to Earth and then comes back. The Doctor doesn't get out of it because he dies technically because then he turns into David Tennant, um, and Jack does die but gets brought back to life. That's the only reason he is alive. Lich, <laughs> and it's so good that they actually give they bring up this big bad being like it can kill anything in the universe it's the most dangerous killer ever and then you watch it be the most dangerous killer ever and you genuinely don't think he's gonna get out of it and it's so good 
Oh, it was it's great. I don't think that show has ever reached those heights since, to be honest. I think its first series was its best. That's interesting because um, I'm not a Doctor Who fan, as you know. And um, But I did love David Tennant's Doctor Who because I think David Tennant is just such an incredible actor. Oh, yeah, he, he's a phenomenally good at that, that role. Yeah, I mean, he's so charming. Um, and, yeah, he was enough for me to, to watch it, even as someone who wasn't a fan. But, yeah, Christopher Eccleston, I mean, the pressure that he had, like you say, coming back after that break, the expectation, I think he absolutely smashed it. That's the thing. Honest. I think everybody kind of like under it. I mean, I've done an article for us on this, so go read it as well. Um, but I think everybody does kind of underestimate Chris Reckleston because he is this, he is a very serious actor. This isn't the kind of role he would do normally. And A, he asked to do it, which everybody kind of forgets. Russell T. Davis was ready to cast David Tennant as the first Doctor. And then Chris Reckleston emailed him saying like, look, can I read the script? I want, I want, I want to have a go. Um, and he kind of like put very much pushed for the role and eventually like they saw him do it and they, they thought, you know, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. But he does the sad and the funny bits, whereas David Tennant has more funny stuff over his, his bit, which he's obviously very good at both. He's one of the world's best actors at the moment, obviously. So there's no taking away from his serious performance. But if you'd had anybody else, I don't think that show would have gone on to be what it is and what it became. Because it's become a worldwide phenomenon. It's not as good in Dale, but, you know, the Tennant Smith era, it was huge. Everybody watched it. There's no getting away. There was You literally couldn't move for Doctor Who constantly. Now it's kind of like gone back to being more of a kid's show and families watch it. And it's, I don't know, it just kind of has lost its charm a little bit. But to come back when everybody thought it was going to be crap and to basically be the springboard for what was then going to become this global thing i think he deserves a lot more credit and i think that episode those two episodes in particular sum up his reign and they just they just embody what doctor who should be when when doctor who's good it's that good but it also has a lot of misses as well yeah it uh, does yeah (laughs) i think it's the production value as much as anything for me that um that puts me off and also the kind of repetitive storytelling at times yeah, but, uh, I mean, it does have a lot of problems. Yeah, but when, like you say, when it's good, I mean, it, it is really good. There's a reason it's so popular. That's the thing. When it's good, you can't beat it for sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, it is the face of sci-fi in a lot of ways for a lot of people. It's definitely the face of British sci-fi. There's nothing else that's that big over here. Yeah. The, only, the only other thing that I think could possibly dethrone it's my, it... my parents are aliens. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, is. <laughs> Because I know I know you love Star Wars, but for me it's Star Trek because it's that little bit more adult sci-fi. How dare you? I'm sorry, it's true. Also, there's just so much more of it. Like, you, to, if you sat down and watched all of the Star Trek, you've got about 15 films and something like 40 series to get through. It's just stupid how much there is. Yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll leave you to that. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, my final episode, number one, top of the list, top of the tree, top of the world. Uh, What was I saying? Yeah, no, it is the finale of Fleabag season two, the finale of Fleabag as far as we're aware. Um, Incredible. I mean, that whole show is just 
so unique. There's a reason it's become such a massive phenomenon. It's picked up countless Emmys, Golden Globes, you name it, BAFTAs. Um, and yeah, it's it's obvious why. I mean, it's such a such an amazing combination of this kind of dark comedy. It's such raw storytelling. The characters are the characters are kind of absurd, but definitely grounded. And I mean, it's fronted by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is just absolutely insane. One of the most talented uh, people on the planet at the moment, I'd say. There's a reason she's so in demand by pretty much everyone. Um, and it is because she was in Solo Assault. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it is because she's... Disney tied her down yet. I mean, yeah, she was in, in Solo, obviously, as the droid. Um, but I felt like she was on Disney. Yeah. I mean, Amazon have. They've uh, spent a lot of money. I think they've given her quite a few million dollars to uh, to produce something for them. So Ooh, she's going to be busy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, she rewrote the Bond script as well. Which uh, still don't may never come to light. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, Fleabag, it, it's going to be difficult to to surpass that for me. Mm. Um, the character of Fleabag is just incredible, so flawed, but um, you root for it every time. And throughout series one is amazing, and there are some great twists in there, and you get to know this character pretty much within ten minutes of episode one. But then series two brings in Andrew Scott, who um, not Adam Scott. <laughs> different person um, entirely. Different person. Both equally charming. Um, and, yeah, they have this relationship between Fleabag and the Hot Priest. And <laughs> and it's just amazing. And he's he's the only character who notices that she breaks the fourth wall. And the first time that he does that is, is amazing. Um, and, yeah, it, it ends in this final episode where, obviously, he's a priest. Um she falls in love with him. Bit of a dilemma there. And this dilemma is, we'll say, resolved uh, in just the most beautiful way. And the episode ends with Fleabag walking off camera and just kind of waving goodbye and uh, walking off into the distance. And it's just such a nicely tied up episode. Heartbreaking stuff, in all honesty. Um, still hurts to think about. But that's the power of the show. You know, they've got this amazing connection straight away and um the writing is just genuinely genius for me and yeah you can see why it's, it's so highly rated um i mean to to surpass brooklyn 99 and friends for me as a kind of tv comedy man um basically all that i watch is comedies on tv uh to surpass that with a kind of more serious obviously funny uh but still serious show i think shows you the impact that it's had and um, I have got the entire script in this uh, book that I bought because Ooh. it is beautiful. Look at you. And uh, call me an intellectual. <laughs> what, reading? Books? Uh. I mean, I haven't actually read it yet, <laughs> which is the case for most of my books. But, you know, I've got a bookshelf, so... I've got several. Oh, uh, wow. One Sorry. DVDs. <laughs> it's big brain time. Big, big, big brain boy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, just in, incredible storytelling. Are you going to be sad if I tell you I've never seen it? No, I, I know you haven't seen it. That's why I was trying to tiptoe around what happens. Um... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you remembered that. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm 50-50 on whether I want to watch it or not. Cause I, I watched, it was weirdly floating about on BBC Three back when it was BBC Three actually on TV. Yeah. 
Um, 2017, I think, Series 1, wasn't it? Something like that. I remember we, we were channel flicking and it came up. And I don't know, it just... It, I think it's partially to do with... Because, like, hearing you talk about it, like, you're saying you, you pick up the character in 10 minutes and stuff. Um, jumping in halfway through a random episode where she was... Oh, what was she doing? She was randomly sleeping with the dude and it like insulting people in a shop and I was just like, What the hell is going on? This seems so yeah. weird. Yeah, it kinda of not... put me off because it's it's not like friends or something you can just jump in the middle of and be like, Right, okay, cool. You definitely cannot. Yeah, it's such a unique show in that way. Um yeah, and if you come into it with no context, you probably will hate it. Yeah, which I did. So <laughs> I I might try again. Yeah. I feel like it's I up to you. I'm not like pushing it to you as a friend. I Honestly, you owe it to me not to watch it, just so you don't break my heart by not liking like it. it. Yeah. But if I don't like it, I'll just pretend I've never seen it. How about that? Yeah, okay. Is that what you're doing now? <laughs> <laughs> just like watching it on the laptop, just like... Oh, God. Yeah, no, but I love it. And a lot of people don't. Well, some people don't. And you can see why. But uh, for me, it's great. 2016 was Series 1. There's a little fact check. I know, but, yeah. I know Big Phil doesn't like it, bless his heart. Yeah, I don't know if it's your kind of thing. Um, but, you know, what I, I say goes. I want to try because you, you convinced Nathan to watch it and he loved it. That is true. He didn't love it enough to join us on the podcast. But uh... that's, that's, that, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like his love of feedback was not what made him not join us on the podcast. I know, I know. Bless his heart. Is he still hungover from the fact that Liverpool won the league? Um. I reckon he would have had a few rounds of drinking on that, so the hangover may not leave anytime soon. Bless his heart. It's it's better than being a Villa fan, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, TV. Uh, yes. We'll wrap this up with a thank you for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us ramble on about sci-fi and romantic gestures and engagements and stuff. Um, we we'll hope you join us on the next episode. sci-fi. Yeah, to be fair, the ultimate for you. The ultimate. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Chris. I appreciate you jumping in at the That's last right. minute. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. Bye.